Stan, thank you for sharing that beautiful song and how true the words of that song are. Well, tonight we're going to begin a look at the fruit of the Spirit that's mentioned over in Galatians chapter 5. So if you'll turn to Galatians 5, beginning, uh, I'm going to start reading from verse 16, and then we'll read down through the what is what Paul calls here, or the writer of Galatians calls, the fruit of the Spirit. It says, I say then, walk in the Spirit. And you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another. So that you do not do the things that you wish. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. And those who are Christ's have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit... Let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. And so here we find Paul urging these Christians, and of course God through him urging all Christians for all time to see this important and necessary link that if we have the Holy Spirit, which this passage assumes that we as Christians have the Holy Spirit, then we should walk in the Spirit. And so there ought to be a connection between the fact that Christ lives in us and His Spirit lives in us and the way we live our lives ought to reflect that. It ought to be consistent. And so he lays out very clearly in two long lists, this is what the world produces This is what the works of the flesh are, and we have that long list, and the truth is there's not anybody among us who hasn't been guilty of some or several or many of those things at various points in our life, and may continue to be guilty of some of those things at various points in our life. Notice it says there in verse 21, just as I also told you in time past that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. He's not saying if someone is guilty of of committing one or several of those things at various points in their life, that well, they can't go to heaven. Some people take this out of context and try to 
try to make that into a works kind of theology. Well, if you commit that sin, well, you're just done for. Well, look at all those sins there. Selfish ambition, dissension, envy. I mean, we could point to some of those things and think, well, I'd never be guilty of those things. But then you point to other things, and who among us hasn't at some point been guilty of some of those things? And, of course, Jesus even elevated some of the things that we would say, oh, I've never been guilty of that. And he made it a heart condition, didn't he? He made it a, a situation where you don't have to actually commit the physical act of some of these things. If you've done it in your mind and your heart, you're guilty just as if you did it otherwise. And so what, what Paul is saying here is that this is characteristic of a life that is without Christ, this list of things. And if this describes a person's life in, in sum, in total, if this is who they are, on and on and on, if this is what they practice, then it gives indication that they are not under the control of the Holy Spirit of God. Because the Holy Spirit produces something very different. And then he lists here what he calls the fruit of the Spirit. Now that's very important. This is not a list of like spiritual gifts. This is not a take it or leave it. The fruit of the Spirit is singular. This is what the Holy Spirit is at work to produce in every single Christian. Every one of us. This list of things that we have here. Love. Beginning with love. Love, joy, peace. The entire list. The Holy Spirit is, is at work to produce all of this in you and in me and in every Christian. It's a singular thing. And so it's not that as Christians we can look at this list and say, well, I like love, but I'm not any good at long-suffering. That's just not for me. That'll, you know, that's not who I am. Well, that, that may be true. The truth is, none of this is who we are in and of ourselves, right? Apart from the power of God. But God, at, through His Spirit, is working to produce in us this list that is called the fruit of the Spirit, meaning as the Spirit lives in you and me as Christians, the Spirit of Jesus Christ, then this is what He produces in us. Just like a tree produces the fruit of the kind of tree that it is. You don't go to an apple tree and expect to get bananas. You, you expect to find that kind of fruit. That's what, that's what that tree is. A Christian produces Christian fruit. And when the Spirit of God lives in us, he's at work to produce this. And the fruit that is listed here uh, is for every one of us. Well, now with that said, we're going to look at this list of the fruit of the Spirit. The first thing listed here, and it's very appropriate, I think we would all agree, Right at the top of the list is love. Love is supreme, isn't it? First uh, Corinthians 13 tells us that, that love is what never fails. The love of God never fails. And so right at the top of the list, he begins with love. In a, uh, we live in a world that's filled with all kinds of destructive consequences of sin. And there's such a need for Christians to exhibit what the Bible here calls the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. There's so much hate 
as a contrast to love. There's so much hate in this world. And increasingly, it seems, uh, it's, or maybe we're just more aware of it because we have so many ways now to see what's going on and to know what's going on. We see these evidences of, of so much hate for what is good. That's the thing that is sometimes just, it just uh, makes you stand there with your mouth open when you see and hear the things that people say sometimes. It's not just that there is hate. There is hate for what is good. And everything seems upside down sometimes because the things of God, the love of God, the purpose of God is hated by so many. But in one sense, I guess it always has been, and that's the problem. That's why Jesus came to deal with the lostness of this world. And so the Christian faith is built on love. It's at the very heart of our faith as followers of Christ. Look at Matthew 22, verses 35 to 40. Because in the words of Jesus, we find him condensing, he condensed in just a few verses, the teachings of Moses and the prophets into two great commandments. In Matthew 22, we find in verses 35 to 40. It says, But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. Then one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, testing him and saying, Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. And so in such a small space of words, Jesus condensed the entire Old Testament and really essentially set forth for us what he came to do, to bring us to be people who have a relationship with God so that we can love God with all of our heart and all of our soul and all of our mind. He brings us together with God by forgiving our sin. And of course, if we can love God like that and experience the love of God like that, then we can love our neighbor as we love ourselves. Apart from Jesus Christ, what Jesus said are the two great commandments is an impossibility. A person cannot love God with all of their mind and all of their heart and all of their soul if they don't have a relationship with God. And you cannot love your neighbor. You can't love other people the way God wants you to if you don't have the power of God in your life. And so when the fruit of the Spirit starts out with love, that's because it's only through the power of the Holy Spirit in us that we can possibly do what Jesus told us to do, to love God and to love others in the way that he wants us to love them. Our first obligation is to love God supremely and to love him steadfastly. And then our love 
for others is possible through the power of God. But there's a third component. What did he say? Love God, and then he said, love your neighbor as yourself. Wow. There are a lot of people who don't love themselves. Or they don't love themselves rightly. And you can't love your neighbor the way God wants you to if you don't also rightly love yourself. So we're going to talk about what that means as we think about love here. The fruit of the Spirit is love. Well, what is love? Well, how much time do we have here? Uh, that is one of the age-old philosophical questions, isn't it? What is love? Well, to make a proper response to that, we have to understand what the Bible has to say about love. We use the word love so loosely, don't we, in the English language? We love family. That's a good thing. But we also love football, and we love flowers, and we love poetry, and we love popcorn, and we could go on a list. You hear people say they use the word love all the time. Well, I just love that. I love this. It's a very overused word, but maybe without enough meaning. In the Greek language, which the New Testament was written in, there were four primary words used for love, actually, in the Greek language. The first, of course, eros, from which we get the word erotic. This is really not used in the New Testament, but it was commonly used in the Greek language among those who spoke the language. And this is talking about a, an erotic or a romantic kind of love, instinctual. Uh, it's like the a sexual attraction and interest that happened between uh, the sexes, between men and women. And in New Testament times, it was associated with lust. Uh, but it is a type of love, but it isn't the kind of love that Paul is speaking of when he says the fruit of the Spirit is love. But some people, for some people, this is all that love is. They don't, they don't have any concept of anything other than this or anything that's important to them other than this uh, instinctual kind of love between the sexes. And then there's phileo or philia, the highest word in the Greek language for human love, representing brotherly love. This is where the name Philadelphia comes from, the city of brotherly love, which really isn't a very brotherly love city. I mean, in, at the uh, Philadelphia Eagles games, they actually throw snowballs at Santa Claus in Philadelphia. So it really is not. It is not a city that uh, really exhibits a lot of brotherly love, from what I can say. Of course, I've never lived there. But that's what the word means. It means brotherly love, a warm, tender, intimate relationship toward other people. And the thing about this word is that the loveliness of the one who is loved serves as the basis of this love. And so it's not necessarily a permanent kind of love. As long as the person that is the object of this kind of love is lovely, then you continue to have this love kind, this brotherly love with the person. 
And this is where you hear people say sometimes, well, I was friends with that person for 40 years, and then they did this, and no more. So the, the loveliness of the other person, not just their appearance, but their behavior, their attitude, that becomes the basis of whether the love continues. Then there's the word storge. You don't hear this one very often, but it speaks of family love. Loving your, your uh, immediate family, your children, and the love that children have for their parents. None of those are the words that Paul uses here for the fruit of the Spirit is love. But those are concepts of love in the Greek language that you still hear people in various ways talk about. Actually, the word he uses here is the word agape. And this is a word that uh, the New Testament writers actually essentially coined. A new word for love. It is unique to what we find here in the New Testament. A descri describing a new quality of relationship. A new attitude toward others. It's the word that is used for God's attitude. And God's way of loving people and so when Paul says the fruit of the spirit is love he is not talking about sexual love he's not just talking about brotherly love that can be there for a while and then it might leave he's not even just talking about the love in a family he's saying God's kind of love this unique love that God has for us it is the love of Calvary it is a Calvary kind of love. It is a sacrificial love, self-giving. It is unmerited love. It is love for the unlovable, that God loves us even though there is nothing lovely about us. He came to us with his love when we had nothing to offer him. And so it's not that we as the object of his love we can hold on to his love because of how wonderful we are. We, we were loved by God when we had nothing. Unmerited favor, God's grace. It is a unique kind of love. And that is what God wants to produce in us. Not only to receive it, but then to be able to love other people the way God has loved us. Do you see how unique that is? How amazing that is? And of course it means that only through the power of God is this even possible. And so the fruit of the Spirit is to produce in us a love that is above the plane of this world. It is not a typical kind of love. It is to love other people the way we have been loved and are loved by God. And so secondly, the Holy Spirit reproduces God's love in us. When you ask Jesus Christ to forgive you of your sin, you receive him into your life, the Bible tells us the Holy Spirit comes to live within us. And you see, that's assumed here. As he talks to these Christians, he's not talking about, well, some of you have the Spirit and some of you don't. He's not talking about you have to do this and have this experience, this second blessing, 
And, you know, the whole Christian life is not about trying to get the Holy Spirit. He's assuming they have the Holy Spirit, and he's saying to them, the fruit of the Spirit is this. It's not about you trying to earn the Holy Spirit into your life. The Holy Spirit lives within you the moment you receive Christ as your Savior. Because who is the Holy Spirit? The Spirit of God. The Spirit of Christ. And so what it's about is what is the Spirit trying to do in your life and through your life. And he wants to produce this fruit. And the first quality of that fruit the first characteristic of it is love. Described as a persistent, unbreakable love. God's love for us is unmerited on our part. It is pure. It is a love that is not derived from this world. God's love for us is great. Ephesians 2.1 says, He loved us when we were dead in sin. Ephesians 2, 5, he loved, his love quickened us to spiritual life from spiritual death. And Ephesians 2, 7, it, his love extends for eternity. And so this is the kind of love that Paul is speaking of. It is eternal and unchangeable. If you read Romans 8, verses 35 to 39, who can separate us from the love of God? Nothing. Can separate us. No one can separate us from this kind of love. And then thirdly, the Holy Spirit enables us to have a proper view of self. So having received the love of God, this amazing, unbreakable, unchangeable love of God, that enables us then to have the right view of who we are. When I'm talking about, when, when Jesus said, love your neighbor as you love yourself. Now, he's not talking about being a narcissist. You know, we hear that word quite a bit now. And, of course, that goes back to, in Greek mythology, there was a young man named Narcissus. He was a beautiful youth. He's described that way. He saw his reflection in a pool. And he became so enamored with his own beauty that he fell in love with himself. And so he would then sit there and look in that pool at how beautiful and wonderful he was, on and on and on. And so when someone today is called a narcissist, that's what it's describing them as, someone who's in love with self. This is not what Jesus meant by love your neighbor as you love yourself. He didn't mean that kind of a, of a, a twisted kind of view of self. The Holy Spirit doesn't lead us to fall in love with ourselves, but to have a proper love for self. As we love ourselves properly, we'll be able to love others. So if a person hates themselves, do you think that they're going to treat other people well? Never works that way. It rarely works that way. Because if a person hates themselves then they're usually bitter, they're usually desperate, and it's hard to love other people when you don't have peace in your own spirit. Proper love for others enables us to accept ourselves as a person that God loves. 
And he loved us so much that Jesus came and died for us. So we ought to love ourselves enough to see that God loves us and we are a person of value. Not because we in and of ourselves are worthy of God's love. But if God loved you enough for Jesus to come, that means you are valuable in his sight. And so you should have that proper love for yourself. And that ought to lead us then to want to love others the way that Jesus has loved us. Proper love for self helps us to forgive ourselves. To forgive ourselves. One writer has said some people cannot experience the forgiveness of God because they refuse to forgive themselves. Consequently, they beat themselves up and criticize themselves, creating a crushing burden of guilt. The refusal to forgive is due to a lack of love. A lack of understanding that God loved you so much that Jesus died for you. And if he's willing to forgive you of your sin and to make you a new creation, why would you want to stay in that place of hating yourself and trying to carry the burden of guilt that Christ carried for you to the cross? And so uh, it's, it's very important that you be willing to let God show you how much he loves you and how much you should love self, not in a selfish way, but being thankful to God that he values you and that you are a person of value and worth. Proper love for self encourages us to protect ourselves from self-destructive habits, self-destructive attitudes. And a lot of the things that people do to destroy their own body and their own mind is because they've never accepted who they are as a creation of God and someone that God loves. But, of course, so many people don't believe that God created them. They think they're a, an accident of nature, a freak of nature. And they don't have any sense of self-worth because the world has told them there is no meaning to your life. You just happen to be here. That's not true for anybody. We're all created by God because he loves us. He created us for himself. And that means every person has intrinsic value and worth in the sight of God. And then finally, the Holy Spirit leads us to love others. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. We can do that as we accept the love of God and receive it into our life. Then we are able to love other people. We must see them just as we know that we are valued by God and God loves us. He loves every single person in the very same way. And therefore, we must love them too. And we must care for all of the people that God created. To love neighbors properly, we must be willing to forgive their trespasses against us. 
just as we have been forgiven. The basis of our forgiving spirit is not whether the person deserves it. Just like the basis of God forgiving us is not because we deserved it. But it's because of this agape love. The fruit of the spirit is this amazing love that is willing to forgive the way God has forgiven us. To truly love others, we must be willing to follow the example of Jesus and the way that he came and gave himself for us. And God is asking that we be willing to let his love, that kind of love, flow through us and touch those around us. The fruit of the Spirit is, first of all, love. And it is this amazing love that knows no bounds. Can't really be explained. It is a supernatural love. You've experienced it, first and foremost, from Jesus Christ in your own life. And if you'll stop and think about it, you have experienced it many times through the love of other Christians who love the way that God wants us to love. And that is what he wants us to share with this world. And people, when they experience that through our lives, they're brought into the very presence of who God is and the way God loves. Because we've experienced that love and we want to help others to experience it as well. People ought to walk away from us knowing there is something different about that person. And the something different is the fruit of the Spirit is, first of all, love. Would you pray with me? Lord, we thank you so much that you brought this love that is so different from the world's concept of what love is. And you brought it into our lives through your willingness to go to the cross and die for our sin and rise from the dead and now to offer eternal life to all who will trust in you. Thank you, Lord, for loving us with that unmerited favor and giving us life everlasting. And we pray that you'll help us now, having received that love, to love others as your Spirit will produce that love in us day by day. Lord, sometimes it's hard to love people who aren't very lovely. And yet, that's who we are. And we thank you that you love us. Even when we were dead in our sins, you loved us and you came for us. Lord, help us to reach out and love others with that love that you, only you, can produce. We pray in this time of invitation now that you'll help us to follow your leadership in our lives. Perhaps you've laid something on our heart tonight that we need to pray about, something we need to make a commitment to you about, publicly or privately. We just ask you to lead us. And help us now to be obedient to you. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.